Hello, everyone. This is the Creativity Cocktail. I am so excited. I've got a great friend here today. I got Mr. Russ McCoy. It's going to be an amazing conversation today. Russ, it's so awesome to have you here. Thank you. <laughs> it really is. Uh, we're going to jump in real quick. For those of you who dig the Creativity Cocktail, we've been doing this for almost two years. We've got all kinds of people that you can get involved with and listen to. You can listen to all types of playlists that we have on our uh, on our channel. But I'm going to jump right into it, Ross, if you're ready for it. I'm ready. All right. So I'm going to ask you a question that I ask of all of the guests to kick off our conversations. And the first one is, it's really around what tools or what software or what device or environment you use when you're ready to be creative. Like, what is that thing for you? Like, what is the thing that says, I'm ready to go and I need to have my X or I need to do my X? <laughs> well, Polly, unlike a lot of other creativity types, I work best with the TV on. I know that sounds very strange. <laughs> I have to have the TV on so it drowns out the rest of the world. Oh, wow. And a lot of people say, yeah, but don't you need the silence? Says, no, when it's silent, Every time I hear a car go by or a dog bark, I'm like, what's that? What's going on out there? So with the TV on, it's sort of like white noise for me. And it drowns the rest of the world out. And I can concentrate specifically on what I'm trying to do. And some people, they use music. I can't do music because I write musicals. Ah. And so for whatever reasons, listening to actual music while I write is very distracting. But TV commercial music, I can tune out completely. It's like it not, it's not even there. That's so crazy. it's a very odd thing, I know. Other than that, I just need my Word, my Microsoft Word. Um, if I want to record something uh, real quick, I use Audacity. Oh, yeah. And yeah. that's pretty much it. Those are my two major tools. That's fantastic. Um, you made me think about that when you said music and listening to TV. I think I may have shared this in the past. But for some reason, when I'm listening to intense rock music, I get like really, really creative kind of stuff. I don't know what it is, but if like borderline heavy metal kind of stuff, it's like yeah. for some reason that lets me tune everything else out around me, like a noise canceling headphone would do. And then yes. I'm able to focus right in on this. Um, yes. So we're going to talk about your amazing journey here, Russ. It's, it's just been a phenomenal journey that you've been on. Um, so it's so great to have you. You and I are both members of the Dramatists Guild um, of America yes. uh, here in Atlanta. And I think we were, we met each other. I cannot recall where there was something at the Alliance or somewhere else. Yes, you, we did. Yes, and you gave me a, you gave me a disc of, of work that you did. And I'm going to share a part of it if you're okay with this. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a little bit of a surprise, but that's what makes the, <laughs> makes the creativity cocktail fantastic. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this was something I saw, and I remember you gave me this disc, but this was based off of something that you wrote many years ago. Tell the audience about this a little bit. This is Manzanar. Oh, yes. Yeah, so... Am I ready for the audio or should I just talk? No, no, just go for it. Okay. okay. Well, I'll share, I'll, I'll, share, I'll share the audio on a second, but I want to hear your thoughts before we share a little ahead. bit. About it. Manzanar was the first musical I had ever written. Um, in my younger days, I thought of myself being a solo artist, 
and I used to write a lot of pop songs. And I got to a point where I'm like, well, this isn't going to happen. Not because I lack talent, but I know that I'm not the best singer and player, but I still like writing music. And I had a friend whose parents were in, who were Japanese, they were in the internment camps. And for 10 years, he was bugging me, please write a musical about this. Please write a musical about this. And I was like, I am not Japanese. I don't get this. But he stayed on me for 10 years. And when I finally decided to give up the solo career, I readdressed it and said, okay, I'm not Japanese, but I do understand intolerance. I do understand prejudice. And from that angle, I kind of got into it. And then I started interviewing uh, Japanese people who were in the camps, like his parents. And from there, I was off and running. And I was very fortunate. I lived in California in Los Angeles at the time. And there's a large Japanese community there. And there's also a theater called the East West Players. And they are an Asian-specific group. And they took us on, and they started doing the readings and everything, and got really, really popular. We were having all these sold-out shows. And, yeah, we thought, okay, Broadway, here we come. (laughs) And then everything ground to a halt. And we couldn't understand why. Well... I don't know how many of you are really into musical theater and into Broadway, but there was another musical called Allegiance. And it was, um, it was a group put together by George Takai, who plays Sulu on Star Trek. Right. He was at the readings of our musical, and he really, really loved it. That's he right. even had an article where he was talking about how he was going to support it and things. Well, because I'm not Japanese, other people in the Asian community said, well, we would like to have this story, but we would like it told to people who are actually Asian. And so he got his own group together, and because of his clout, he was able to workshop it and get it to Broadway. And I was heartbroken. I was totally heartbroken. And I was getting all these emails from all these people saying, oh, I heard about your musical going to Broadway, Is, but it has a different name now. Is it the same thing? And I'm like, well, no, that's something else. Now, other people were saying, um... This other musical is just like yours, but yours is a lot better. We like your characters better. We like the music better. What's happening with yours? And I told them what happened. And for me, as hurt as I was, and I kind of felt a little betrayed because, you know, I met Jorsakai personally. Yes. And so it was really kind of like I felt like, oh, gee, you know me, and you didn't even warn me that you were doing this. At the same time, I admire the man. I admire his career, and he has every right to tell his story. You know, who am I to say you can't tell the story of something that, because he was in the camps himself when he was like three to five years old. So, I mean, he has a legitimate reason to to do this. Uh, So, it was a tough pill to swallow, and I was told by one of the leaders of ASCAP who does musical theater, Michael Kirker, he told me, he said, look, I've seen that musical. I know your musical. He says, I think yours is a superior musical because you put much more time and effort while they had to rush theirs. He says, if it's a hit on Broadway, your musical's dead in the water because you'll always be compared to it. Was it? What was it? If it isn't a hit, if it isn't a hit, the role's clear for you. And so there was a part of me that, though I was upset that it was on Broadway, there was another part of me secretly that I do not like about myself that hoped that it would fail. <laughs> and for the most part, it did fail. It, did, it wasn't a hit. It, a lot of people don't even know it exists. 
Right. And so I got a call from Michael Kirker and he said, the road's clear. And so that's been really great that I can move forward with it. But I still have to overcome the fact that because I'm not Asian, a lot of Asian groups will not support it. Thank you. Because of what we're specific in our society right now about, you know, something being written by who you really are. I think we want to talk about this a little bit because I think mm-hmm. this extends even beyond the with the scenario you encountered. I think you and I talked about this recently, but I wanted to take a moment and share a bit of it. I'm not sure if all of the audio will play here, but I think I'm going to go ahead and try that and give at least give people a 30 seconds view into this great video that you got on YouTube, if you're okay with that. Sure. So hang on. The reason why it's taking me a second is that I got other stuff to talk to you about that I found on the <laughs> found on in, on the internet hopefully, about. Hopefully nothing scandalous. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> so let's see play for our audience. So I'm gonna bring it back a little bit. It looks like it's not playing for our audience. Wow. Oh, here we go. We're here. Whatever here is. Mom, those men who took Dad and Uncle Kenji away, do you think they brought them here too? I don't know, precious one. But if they didn't, then was Dad going to find us when they let him go? Did, uh, did you catch the sign when the bus turned in? That's some strange name on it. It said Manzanar. In Spanish, that means apple orchard. Apple orchard? Well, that doesn't sound so bad. This is all Patinkas, man. This isn't right. Yeah. I didn't want to give it all because I want people to go check it out. <laughs> I want people to go on your website and check it out. But that is that is phenomenal stuff. That, that, that really is. So tell us a little bit about your journey. You know, hold on. Before we do that, you mentioned something earlier that I want to make sure that we hop on or hop on or dig into. And that was about when you had Manzanar. And the group told you since you weren't Japanese, you couldn't, um, oh, they had an issue with it. Um, and I think that that extends beyond just the Japanese scenario that you had. Um, you and I had a chance to briefly chat about this. We're both black, it's obvious. Anybody who's watching us on video, you can tell us. And we both are into theater and we write theater. And um, we both were talking about the fact that some of our work sometimes we even have a challenge within our own community having it being um, presented and projected in our own community i don't know why i you know it's to me and and i wrote an article about this the other day said you know go make your own damn box versus the box that people try to label us in and um, when that happens obviously that, that creates some tough stuff for us all to deal with there's no reason why you and i Two great black creators have these have these boundaries that people have manufactured, and 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 it really really sucks in a horrible way, because um, our stories are our stories, your stories and my stories are just as valid as anybody else's stories that exist out there. So you can tell I feel a certain way about this, and uh, but I wanted to get your thoughts on this because this is something I think you and I both have encountered. Yeah, well for me. I never felt there were any boundaries. When I wrote my solo stuff, I was mostly into rock and pop, which was very unusual. And one of the barriers I kept hitting 
trying to get recognized is I kept being told, we don't know how to market you. Right. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? I'm just an artist. Yeah, but here you are. You're this black guy who's doing rock music. And some of your stuff has you know, gay overtones. And we just don't know how to market that. And I faced that. But then a lot, I thought, well, yeah, Jimi Hendrix, he's been in there. He was, he's a legend. you know. And during that time, Tracy Chapman came along. And for right. some reason, well, we can handle it from Tracy Chapman, but you're a little more rock than she is. I'm like, okay, here comes Prince. Well, yeah, but Prince has a little funk in there. If you did a little funk and a little jazz, and I'm like, well, what can I do? <laughs> you know, I think that that's not unique to me. I think a lot of artists, even whether they're white or whatever, you don't see a lot of Asian rock artists or Hispanic right. rock. It's really rare. It's pretty much set up for if you are a white person. Yeah, okay, you know. That was okay. As time went on and I started doing musical theater. I, um, I, wanted, to, I wanted to stop this because yeah. I wanted to share one of your cool, I found this picture of you mm-hmm. somewhere and I was like, oh my gosh, am I looking at the same guy? I was like, is that Russ? <laughs> <laughs> Can you see what I'm looking at here? This no, is- I can't see it. Oh, this is a, uh, this is a, uh, well, the crowd can see it. The audience can see it. And so it's it's a thing that was on the internet. It was a biography on this really multicolored looking website uh-huh. that had you on there. And I was saying to myself, that is Russ. Russ oh is you had like a little you had like a little uh, what are these called these kind of things here when you have a you know, this underneath your goatee. Yeah. I don't know what they call that. But I was like, Russ, it was pretty cool. And and I found uh, um, some music of yours on SoundCloud that we'll play a little bit later. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> you're seeing more than I see. <laughs> but keep going. Star, I didn't know it. <laughs> keep going. You were sharing with us that you had yeah. this path that you were on. Yeah. yeah. So one of the interesting things going back to even with uh, Manzanar was that when we were going to pitch this to the theater, I kept telling my friend Dan Taguchi, I said, you need to pitch it. He says, well, why? He said, you're the writer. He says, I know. I said, but I think of Steven Spielberg when he did The Color Purple. And I remember there was a big uproar about it. Why is this white director doing this black story? And I remember it was such a controversy until the movie came out and became very beloved by so many, then all was forgiven. And I said, if you introduce me, it will go. I said, but if you don't, he says, oh, come on, Russ. It's not like that. I go up to the artistic director of the theater and I say, I'm Russ McCoy, I have this musical. And he was very interested. He said, well, you know, send me a sample and we'll get back to you in a couple of months. So I went back to Dan and says, well, this is what he said. I said, now, Dan, you go up there. Dan went up there. He came back and says, they want to see us next week. Okay. I said, what did you say differently than me? He says, I didn't say anything differently. But because I'm Japanese, he was really interested. And when we started doing the you know, doing the workup for the show, it took them three months before they actually addressed me personally in the meetings. They would always defer to Dan. And Dan would always have to say, Russ wrote it, ask him, even though I'm in the same room. Russ wrote it, Dan. I think I have this somewhere here. I think I have this. I'm going to see if I have this and I can share this. But I remember seeing this and was this I think this was promoted in the Dramatist Guild, or oh, this was a Mark Swanson. Mm-hmm. This oh, was a, 
that you did with Mark Swanson. Yes. 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 And Pamela Turner, who we both know, wrote this article, I think, sometime yes. ago. Um, and most recently, you were in the Drama Skill for another thing. I saw you somewhere near the editorial area. Um, there, was a, there was a little write-up about you on the most recent issue that I saw a few yeah. months ago. You are very popular, Russ. People in the yeah. Drama Skill know you. You guys. You guys. <laughs> I will say, when I moved to Atlanta, I chose Atlanta for a specific reason. Uh, in L.A. or New York, I am a very small fish in a humongous pond. But when I moved here to Atlanta, I chose it because I knew that the movie industry and music industry was really building. And I said, I'll still be a small fish, but the pond won't be as big. That's right. And it has worked to my favor. Ten years have passed, but now people know who I am and they will call me up and ask for advice and they'll do interviews with me like you are. I'm like, that would never have happened in California because the competition is so much stiffer trying to get noticed than it is here. And luckily I got in on the ground floor. So now 10 years later, I had a name enough that people kind of know who I am. And that was really wonderful. And it was really good for me to connect with other writers and other actors that I really had a harder time doing in California. So. Right. Yeah. So talking about groups of writers, we are also in a group called Merely Writers, yes. which is like a highlight of me personally of my life to be involved with such people who have a collective thought process. And I just want to make sure that they knew that we knew that we care about them and we, we love them. They're a fantastic group of people. They are. Yeah. Any comments about that group? That's just an awesome group of people. That group has been my lifeline. It has brought me so much joy and it's good to have a sense of community, especially theater community. That's something that I hadn't had since high school. You know, when I was in drama class and to have that again and feel like you have people that got your back yeah. means a lot because it keeps you motivated. It keeps you moving forward. It keeps you creative. And that group has meant the world to me. Uh, special, you know, top of the hat, you know, tip of the hat to, to Daniel Guyton and Joan McElroy. They were both instrumental in just bringing this joy to our community. And I thank them so much. Yeah. Dan Guyton has been on the podcast and, and I have purposely invited anyone in the Millie Writers Group or on a drama skill. If you're a creative, please join the podcast here at the Creativity Cocktail. Next week, we'll have Laura King, who is our Atlanta rep for the drama skill on, um, on, the, on the cocktail, and that's going to be fantastic. Yeah. So I, I want to talk a little bit about, about your, you talked about your path, but I really want to talk about where do you see our community now? You talked about it a minute ago that you came to Atlanta. Atlanta was this kind of, you know, the smaller pond that's obviously growing. It's not as big as L.A., obviously, but it's growing a bit. Where do you see the community itself going here in the near future? I think that the theater community here is going to explode. I've already seen it explode. When I first moved here, there were only like pretty much three theaters that were getting any kind of notice at the time now we have so many theaters to choose from that do very good work here that it just amazes me to see how the theater community came alive i knew it was going to because as i saw the movie industry here building and then the tv industry building it was going to be a natural fit for the theater community too because you're going to be bringing in all these other creative people other actors other writers and all coming here to atlanta 
because right. this is where the work is. And when you have the work, you're going to have the people and creativity. I think that this is going to be one of the major hubs for theater. I think it already has started. I mean, Color Purple started here. Uh, Tuck Everlasting started here and quite a few others. You know, this is going to be the place to be for music, theater, and pretty much the whole entertainment realm. That's awesome. Who inspires you, Russ? Because you've got this wealth of different things that you've been involved in over your career. Like right now, like is there a show? Is there a writer? Is there a musician? Someone that you say to yourself, man, I really like what he or she is doing. They got my juices flowing. Who, who's that working for you? Well, of course, there's always Sondheim. There's always Weber, you know, yeah. and there's even Stephen Schwartz. Yeah. But there's also Stu, who wrote Passing Strange, which I think yeah. is one of the best, most underrated musicals out there. Uh, I think that, of course, you have um, Lin-Manuel Miranda with, Ham with Hamilton. Fantastic. Yes. Uh, I love, you know, Dear Evan Hansen. I think it's really well put together. But one of the things that really blew me away was Come From Away. That musical was something that came out of left field that I did not expect to be what it was when it was so emotionally charging. And what I love about the most is that in musical theater, you're kind of being told that you can't really have an ensemble musical. That everything has to have, you have to focus on a couple or a person for it to be successful. Mm. But Come From Away is an ensemble musical. And ensemble musicals means you have many characters with many storylines that you have to follow at the same time. And I like, I like yeah, that guy. Yeah. Yes. And I think that it can work. I think it's a harder thing to make work, but a good writer and good songwriters, they can make it work. Other ensemble musicals are like Ragtime. That's more ensemble. Rent is actually more ensemble. Uh, chorus line, ensemble. Okay? Even Cats, which I'm not crazy about Cats, but that's an ensemble musical. You don't concentrate just on one or two characters. It's a swath of characters, and you follow all of them through their journey. Maybe I don't. Maybe my own knowledge about that is uh, wanting. But I saw one a couple of years ago um, that I thought was very good, and I sat right in the front row called Becoming Nancy. Um, yes. The Alliance Theater, and I yes. really enjoyed that mm -hmm. that show. It was fantastic. I don't know if it was an ensemble or not. All I know is that it was just really enjoyable. I was like, oh my gosh, I haven't seen a musical like this in some time. I just thought it was, yeah. It was great. Yeah. yeah. Now, Becoming Nancy, yeah, I saw that too. It was very good. That's not considered ensemble because you know the character you're following throughout the That's whole right. journey. That's There's right. other characters around them, but you have the main character. And ensemble line. musicals- Through yeah. line for the one person, yeah, follow Yes, yeah. ensemble yeah. musicals don't just have one person, they have multiple people you're gonna follow at the same time. And that's like in, in Ragtime, you have the mother character, you have the uh, the immigrant character, you have Cole House, you have three characters, and then all the people swirl around them in their separate worlds. And so, and they have their own stories. So you're following multiple people through a journey, and at the very end, it all kind of comes together where you see where all those threads lead up to this tapestry. That's interesting, because when I think about it, I think that's the way I write theater. Mm -hmm. I think that's the way I write the story, where you you get attached to multiple people, and then yes. they all connect the dots at the end, as yes. opposed to just being the you know the typical novel protagonist antagonist. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's, you got multiple through lines there. 
Yes. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, you know, you you will see more ensemble type work in movies. Like mm-hmm. you know, you have uh, movies like Crash and things where you just have a and a lot of uh, Altman movies are that way, oh, where yeah. you have all these different characters and you're following all of them through their journey. For some reason, movies they find that okay, but for theater, especially musical theater, they frown upon it. But there are examples where it does work and come from away and Corstein are two shining examples where you're following multiple people and it all comes together and it works. Why do you think that's why do you think that's the case? Why it shied away from in general? I think because there were probably enough failures when they were doing it that they kind of frowned upon it like don't even try. And my whole thing is, well, why not? That just means that maybe the book was not as strong as it should have been for people to follow it. It's right. not because the concept itself was wrong. Gotcha. Gotcha. So here we are, 2020. I hope you are being safe and taking care of yourself, especially these days. I don't know where you are on the vaccine trail. All I know is that I'm waiting for whenever that is to get mine because I got to get out. (laughs) (laughs) I got to go somewhere. (laughs) I get my first shot on Tuesday, so I'm looking forward to it. And I feel like I'm kind of the last of the list. Almost everyone I know has had one or both of their shots. So I feel like I'm not part of the club and I want to be part of the club. (laughs) Yes, I I feel the same way. I feel ostracized. Like when did you get on the list? And then I saw the list about the people, but then there were like different counties. I was was very confused about that whole thing. All I know is that this year is a great year to get out. The roaring 2020s is a real thing. People are going to be everywhere. It's going to be awesome. So what are you up to these days? What are some of the things you're working on these days? Well, I was... uh... I attended a seminar a couple of weeks back called the uh, Theater Maker Studio out of New York. And it was a week-long seminar. And one of the things that was good for me, it was free. Hey, when it's free, I'll go. But the good thing about it, it was pretty much about all of us as writers and what can motivate us after going through a whole year of the pandemic. Because a lot of people will think that, well, with all this time on our hands, we're probably just writing like crazy. Yeah. And in many ways, it was the opposite. A lot That's of us case, got yeah. very depressed yeah. because why write when there's no place to put it? You know, yeah. there's no place for it to go. And the pandemic went on and on and on. And I think it got a lot of us pretty lethargic and apathetic. And this kind of motivated me. And it motivated me to drag out. Uh, a musical that I had seen around for almost a little more than 10 years. It was called the Amazons of Paris. And it was based off of a real nightclub in Paris. That I saw back in 19, uh, in 2003. And it was, it had a nice staff. All the staff were all these drag queens who wore these platform shoes that were 12 inches high. So they towered over the clientele. And they would serve drinks and they would sing and things like that. I thought, what an interesting idea for a musical. But I said it back in the 1950s in, in Paris. And it is an ensemble musical. And that's one of the reasons why I said it aside, because they kept saying, oh, ensemble musical. So I, I said, I don't care. It's big. It's brash. It's beautiful. I'm going to finally move forward with it. And so I dusted it off and did some rewrites. And now they're going to do a reading of it at Merely Players uh, on May 24th. So I'm getting all that together. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, so it's, I call it a musicless musical only because for the writing, uh, for the reading, because it's going to be on Zoom, 
it's really hard for music and everything to play over Zoom without getting pretty wonky. So they're just going to read the lyrics instead of singing them. Got you. Instead of the, without you disclosing the whole thing, does it look in that lifestyle, the drag lifestyle, is it part of the the story inside of it? It's part of the story, but it's more matter of fact. I don't make it like this big shocking thing or a message about it. They are who they are and talks about who they are and just falling in love and how life is just their life. And so I don't try to go big and say, oh, I'm making this message about being a drag queen and how tough it is. No. They are comfortable in their shoes. This is their job, and they're doing their job, and they fall in love, and all the things that swirl around them as this all comes together. When that happens, I'm going to tell my wife about that one because she watches mm-hmm. every show associated with that, all of the RuPaul and all of the derivatives <laughs> of that show. And there was a show on HBO Now that her and I watched. Why can't I remember the name of this? It had uh, Megan Thee Stallion on it, mm-hmm. and, they, and they were doing their like their – walk like when they do the show when you come in you do your walk and have like different groups from all over oh man I, i'm sure there's somebody out there who's going to like give me a hard time in the chat be like dude you can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was it was like when hbo when I first came it was megan the stallion and it was a couple of other people on it it was like so much fun it was about the whole lifestyle because they come out and they'll do their walk and they'll do like the performance and all that. i was like this is phenomenal and I got into it a little bit, but not as much as my wife. If you <laughs> had a Q&A with my wife, she knows everything about the world. She knows all about that stuff. That's exciting. I'm looking forward to that. What, what, when is that again? Uh, May the 24th. May the 24th. Please, everyone, go and check that out. I know it's going to be awesome. Because Russ is winning. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. <laughs> it's going to be great. So, Russ, this has been a part of the history of the creativity cocktail that I always ask this question. This is the one question, this last question here, that I ask of every single guest. And and, and as we've been doing this, we've had 90 episodes over these last couple of years. We've gone from me just recording it on my phone to what we're doing it now. And this question is one that I've not yet to receive the same answer over 90 some times that we've done it. And that is you are having a conversation with the person be young or, or whatever point they are in their life and they're saying hey, hey russ i want to be creative i want to go ahead and, and explore my creative ch- talent that i have because every single one of us has this but i don't know where to start or i'm afraid or i don't know what to do i don't know what they're going to say they got all these trepidations in their lives about where to start and you and them are having a conversation. I'm not here. It's you and them, you're having an interview with that person. And then you're saying, and, and they say, Russ, what do I do? What's my next step? What do you tell that person? Well, my first thing I would say, do what you love to do. Don't do it to become a star. Don't do it to get on Broadway. Don't do it to make lots of money. You do it because there's a passion in you that you just can't deny, but do it. You have to do it. And when I write my music, I do it because it's something that I'm driven to do because it's in me. If a lot of people hear it and it's, you know, gets accolades, that's fantastic. But if it doesn't, it's still there for me. It's still there. It's like a child. You have this child. You raise this child. Your child may have fame and fortune. Your child may just live a, an ordinary life. But it's still a life. And it's still there for someone to meet and someone to discover. 
Right. You do it for that reason because there's no other option for you. You have to get this out and put it out there no matter who sees it. It doesn't make a difference. As long as it's there, it can always be discovered. But it can't be discovered if it stays inside. Mm. That is such a good point. Now, you and I probably had these cases where someone says, hey, I had something. I had a thought about something. And our first inclination is like, go write it mm -hmm. or go yeah. make it. Well, that's one of the reasons why I ended up playing guitar. I'm not a good guitar player, but I can play guitar because I kept telling people I write songs. And I'm like, oh, do you have anything I can hear? And I'd be stopped in my tracks. Well, it's all in my head. Being in my head doesn't do any good. Right. They have to see it. They have to hear it. If you're a painter, you have to paint so they can see what your talent is. They may not like your talent. You may not be all as talented as you think you are, but you have to do it to find out. And you have to believe enough in yourself to put it out there. That's awesome. So everyone that's out there, I hope you're hearing the words that Russ is sharing. We all have a creative ability. You just got to do it. We live in a time where every single person can just jump in and do something creative. We were put here to be creative. Mm -hmm. We weren't put here to just consume. Because when you consume great works, like some of the works we talked about today, then that unleashes more creativity. And then you consume some more great stuff. Yeah. And then you create more. You create this real great cycle of dopeness going back and forth in regards to how you are in your life. And so, and also, also remember this. Art is subjective. That's right. One man's trash is another man's treasure. So no matter what your talent is, I can guarantee there's going to be people who are going to like it. It may not be a lot of people, but there are going to be people who look at it and they feel for it. It brings out some emotion and some attachment to them that they will never let go of. So all art is good. It may not be to your taste, but all art is going to appeal to someone. Yeah, I always tell this story that years ago I had a reading of something that I was doing. Uh, I had it at a theater in Marietta. And I had this young man come up to me afterwards. I could tell he was about... 14 or 15, but he was about six feet tall. You ever seen one of those kids that's like already grown up, but their face is still a baby? <laughs> so, so, so he comes to me and he shakes my hand. He says, Mr. Wilson, I'm so glad I came to this reading today because I really wanted to get my work out there. And, but I didn't know I could get inspired. You inspired me to do this. I'm telling you, Russ, once that happened, that was like, for me, that was like the check mark in my life that this is who I am. It's not what anybody else said. It's not what the review of a thing that I made. It was that kid mm -hmm. that came here. Because I don't know that kid. I don't recall his name. But I might have changed his life in some material way. Mm -hmm. and, and that's why we do art. Yeah. That's why we do it. Russ, if somebody wants to hear more and find out more stuff and how to connect with you and see what you're up to, what are some ways that they can do that? Oh, wow. See, now you're... Well, I'm on YouTube. If you put Russ McCoy on YouTube, you should come up with some of my videos. Uh, let's see. Um, I have www.manzanarthemusical.com. I have www.mergethemusical.com. And actually, I have one for Amazon's of Paris, but there's nothing on that site yet. I have to start working on that. And you can also find me on Facebook, and that should bring up some of the other things I'm involved in. So I guess that's the way to do it, I guess. I'm not as organized as, that as I should be. I should, I should have a marketing person that helps me out with this. Well, the fact that you've got 
two and a half websites going is a lot more than some people have. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a lot of Russ, do you have any parting comments for the audience out there? Keep in mind, our audience are people all over the world. This podcast is listened to people as far away as Australia listen to the Creativity Cocktail. What's some parting words you want to give to the audience? Write, or if writing is your thing, write what you're passionate about. And don't be deterred by people saying, well, you can't write about a woman because you're not a woman. If it's something you're passionate about and you've studied hard and you really love the subject matter, go ahead and write it. Do what you, you want to do. I think we're kind of in a strange position now where we're trying to really honor people of color and women, and we want to hear their voices. At the same time, once you hear their voices, you're saying, well, we want to hear you, but you, we want you to write only about being a woman or only about being black. And we have to understand that we as writers need to be free to write what we are passionate about, no matter what the subject matter is. Now, if you do choose a subject matter that you aren't specifically a part of, then it's up to you to do your research and your due diligence to make sure you understand and know the mindset of those you are writing about. That's important. Okay, so don't let them rein you in. It's hard to do. We're in a position right now where it's really rough. My thing is, there are a lot of really great black writers out there writing about the black experience. And if I see them doing such a good job of it, and I think I can't do a good of a job in writing that experience, then let me be free to write what I want to write about. Okay, so don't let anyone hem you in and put you in a box. Yeah. You create your own box. You tell yourself, this is who I am, and just move forward with it. Sometimes people understand it, sometimes they won't. But I think that if you have the talent, people will recognize it. I would agree. People, audiences are getting smart. And so they know your experience is your experience, right? So you're right. There's somebody who will try to put you in a box initially. But if you keep pushing it through and you keep doing who you are and making sure that that's it, someone's going to say that is great and that resonates with me. Mm -hmm. And that's all you want. That's yeah, all, yeah. all you want. I, I'm going to ask you a question here, and it's going to be a pretty simple question. We would love to have you come back to sure. the cocktail. We would love to have you. This has, <laughs> been, this has been a great conversation with you. Uh, I, I just, I'm just so in awe of you and your path. I tell you, I've been around you for, I don't know when that time was we met, but it's got to be maybe getting close to 10 years. Yeah. And, uh, and every time I see you, I'm like, that guy is real. Thank and, you. Yeah, and I really appreciate it. And everybody out there, the Creativity Cocktail continues on. Look for some more information. We're going to have a nice bonanza celebration here shortly on the, about our two-year anniversary. And it's going to be amazing. And you're going to be able to see some great stuff. And Russ, you're obviously invited to that. And Thank so you. we'd love to have you there. So everyone, this is Winston Wilson with the Creativity Cocktail. Please join us again for our next awesome episode. And please thank Russ and leave us a comment and subscribe. To what we're doing because we want to know we want to know how we can do more and get more out there so thank you all for joining and take care 